Good morning. Now, where I'm from, when you speak to people, they speak back. Good morning. Thank you. It is such a joy to be with you today. It is an honor for me to speak at your friends and family day. And I know that we have a lot of friends with us today. And I want you to know as I speak on behalf of God's family here, I want you to know that you are among people who love the Lord. You are among people who care about you We want you to feel comfortable in our midst. We are people who believe in the book, in the Word of God, and we invite you to take your Bible this morning and study with us. I want to tell you this morning about the church that we love so much. We want you to love the church too. If you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16 and look in verse 13, The Bible says that when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father in heaven. And notice that Jesus says, You are Peter upon this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Now let's talk about that word church. It's a word that with many of us, it appears daily in our vocabulary. It's a word that appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. And yet about the church, there is no little confusion. And that's because we live in a divided religious world. That's not a revelation to you. You know that that is the case. Some estimates are as high as as 34,000 different churches in the world today. And in each of those churches there are good, sincere people who, who are trying to draw us to be with them. Come be with us. No, come be with us. No, come be with us. No, come be with us. And you hear people talking about my church, your church, our church, their church, even people referring to the building as the church. Well, it's confusing, isn't it? Well, we want you to know that we care about the church and we care about you. And because we do, we want to point you to God's blueprint of the church, the New Testament. You know, I was studying the Bible with a man many years ago in Owensboro, Kentucky, and he was considerably confused. He told me that he had set about to study about every religion and every church in America, and then he was going to make his choice. (laughs) Wrong approach. If you wanted to build a house identical to one that was built earlier, all you need to do is go get the blueprint of the original. The New Testament is that blueprint of the church. 
And all we have to do is go to God's blueprint, the New Testament, and we learn about the church. To aid us on our journey this morning, I want to suggest some questions. And here's the first question. I think the logical place to begin is, uh, how important is the church? Well, I don't think it surprises any of us to realize that we are living in a day and time when the very concept of the church is being largely rejected. Some estimates by Barna and other groups is that maybe 47% of the people in America right now fall under the category of the nuns, those who have no religious affiliation, no association or identification with the church. And there seems to be a, a stigma. Did I turn that off? <laughs> there seems to be a stigma associated with the church. Uh, there are people saying, well, give me Jesus, but, but, but you can keep the church. And we've got a unique thing going on in America right now where people are wanting to be spiritual without being religious. There are those who reject the church altogether. There are those who, and even I'm sad to say some members of the church, who treat like the church like nothing more than a glorified social club. One place that Pam and I lived for 13 years, uh, I was rather involved in the community, and I was the president of the Kiwanis Club twice. But you know, toward the latter end of our stay there, I'd kind of burn out on social clubs, and so at first I kind of missed some meetings, and then I got to where I wasn't going at all. And, that, and really, that's okay, because that's just a social club. Folks, that's not the church. How important is the church. Quickly consider these thoughts. Jesus promised in Matthew 16 and 18, I will build my church. And his church was established on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ, as we find in Acts chapter 2 to be studied later. Consider also the fact that Christ purchased the church. Paul told the Ephesus elders, Take heed to yourself, to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, or shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you want to know how valuable something is, all you've got to do is ask the question, what did it cost? What did it cost? Now, is the church something that you and I can totally reject? Is it something we can treat like a glorified social club when Jesus purchased the church with his own blood? You might want to be turning to Ephesians chapter 5 for several passages now. The church, oh Christ is the head of it. In Ephesians 5 and verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of something that... We can totally reject something we can take or leave. Or does not the fact that Christ purchased the church, Christ is the head of the church, does that not indicate to us how very important the church is in the divine scheme of things? And in the same verse it says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now we'll see in a few moments that that has reference to the church. The church is the body of Christ. He is the Savior of the body. Did you know that there's no promise of salvation apart from the church? And then move down a couple of verses. and Look in Ephesians 5 and verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. How much did he love the church? So much that he gave himself for it. Now folks, if Jesus loved the church like that, shouldn't we love the church like that? I'll move down a couple more verses. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, He's going to present the church to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The church. The church of Christ. The church that He built, purchased with His blood. He is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the church. He loved the church. And He's going to present the church to Himself. I think of Timothy Dwight's song. Timothy Dwight was an amazing man. Uh, he was so intelligent that he attended Yale University when he was 13 years old. And he later became the president of Yale University. And at one point, he started and led a spiritual revival across campuses all across America. But Timothy Dwight wrote the song. Don't you love the song? I love thy kingdom, Lord. For her, my tears shall fall. That's how important the church is in God's scheme of things. But perhaps it's a situation that we've gotten ahead of ourselves. I want to pose the question, what is the church? You know, sometimes when people use the same word, they're talking about different things. So, so let's make sure that we're on the same wavelength here. Biblically, going to the New Testament blueprint, what is the church? Well, the church is the called out of God. You see the word church, ecclesia, means called out. It has reference to those who are called out of something and into something. We are called out of the world and into the family, the body of Christ, into the church. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Paul addresses that letter to the church of God at Corinth to those who are sanctified, made holy, hagiazo, Called to be holy, hagios, to be set apart to God. And that's what the church is. It's the called out of God. And that term shows our relationship to the Lord and to the world. Now next consider that the church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, and 23, God gave him Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. In Colossians 1, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, in this spiritual body, well, the body has a head. We've already seen Christ as the head of the church, Colossians 1.18. And it has members. You are the body of Christ and members individually, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. 
See, this term, body of Christ, suggests the unity, the function, the fellowship in the church. I want to suggest to you this also, that the church is the kingdom of God. A lot of misunderstanding about that. The church is the kingdom of God. Premillennialism. 95% of the denominational world in America today is premillennial in some form or fashion. But boil down to his essence, premillennialism says that, that Christ came to the earth to set up his kingdom and he wasn't able to do it, so he set up a temporary church and he'll come back and he'll set up his kingdom on earth and he'll reign a thousand years in Jerusalem. That's premillennialism. Brother N.B. Hardeman gave a great definition of premillennialism. He said pre means before, millennial means thousand year reign, ism means it ain't so. Folks, the church is the kingdom of God. Notice in our text in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, Jesus in verse 18 said, I will build my church, and then in verse 19 he says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know, there are four things that are essential to constitute a kingdom. You've got to have a king, you've got to have a territory, you've got to have a law, and you've got to have subjects. Does the church qualify? Well, the church has a king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church has a territory going to all the world. The church has a law, which is the New Testament. And it has subjects, whosoever will. It's interesting to look at passages about this in the New Testament. To look, for example, at Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that says to the Christians at Colossae that God had delivered them from the power of darkness and had translated them into the kingdom of God's dear Son. In Revelation 1, verse 9, John said that he was a companion in the kingdom. There's an interesting statement as Paul is discussing the resurrection, the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 24, he tells us that when Christ comes again, he's not coming to set up his kingdom, he's coming to deliver up his kingdom. You see, this, this term, kingdom of God, that expresses the government aspect of the church. Let me mention some other things quickly. We studied in Sunday school how the church is the house of God. Or the family of God. Paul said, if I'm delayed, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The church is the bride of Christ. In Romans 7 verse 4, it's often quoted about marriage, God's general law concerning marriage. One man, one woman for life. But actually he's giving the marriage law to illustrate the fact that we are now married to another. Paul says, even to him who is raised from the dead. Romans 7 verse 4. And it's interesting in the book of Revelation, as in Revelation 21 and verse 9, that the church is the bride, the Lamb's wife. Oh, we're getting some insights into the church. And then, I want to labor this point for just a moment. The church is the saved. And through the years, from time to time, I have been asked, maybe you have been asked, 
Can people be saved out of the church? Well, that indicates that they really don't understand what the church is. The church is the saved. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, when the church was established, Peter had preached to them, and in verse 37 it says, They were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter told them to repent and to be baptized for remission of their sins. He further exhorted them, in verse 40, to do that. In verse 41, then those that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look at verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What is the church? The church is the called out of God. It's the body of Christ. It's the kingdom of God. It's the house of God. It's the bride of Christ. The church is the saved. Now I want to get to this question. And this speaking on behalf of God's family here to those of you who are visiting with us today. What makes the church of Christ different? I mean, we've already talked about the fact that we live in a, a world filled with churches. What makes churches of Christ different? Well, first thing that I would encourage you is to consider the plea and the commitment of the church. Our plea is, let's go back to the Bible. Let's do Bible things in Bible ways and call things by Bible names. Let's speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. And that's Bible. Because in 1 Peter 4.11, Peter said, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the utterances of God. And it's because of that plea and our commitment to that plea that you'll find that we don't have any creed books, manuals, articles of faith, catechisms. You have more than the Bible. You have too much. If you have a lesson in the Bible, you have too little. Let's go by the Bible. Let's return to the New Testament. Let's pattern ourselves after what it teaches us. And I ask you, and I say that without any hesitation at all, isn't it a wonderful plea that we all go back to the Bible? And so we don't have these creed books and manuals and articles of faith and catechisms and, and whatever. We also strive to be scriptural in our government. We exalt Christ as the only head of the church. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do by His authority. Colossians 3 and verse 17. He has all authority, Matthew 28 and 18. And so we have no councils and Synods and conventions. Does not the existence of those things say something? We wear no human name. There are several scriptural designations given in the New Testament for the church. Most often it is simply referred to as the church. Because of the division and the need to be able to identify ourselves to folks, we most often refer to ourselves 
by the designation given in Romans 16, verse 16. The churches of Christ salute you. Not only is that a scriptural designation, but it also shows ownership. And it gives honor to the Lord. The church is the bride of Christ, and so we wear his name. And individually, we simply refer to ourselves as Christians. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, Acts 11, verse 26. In one translation of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, the translation says, If anyone suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. I remember years ago, I was in a, an office supply place in Owensboro, Kentucky, and some preacher, I guess, came in, and I was browsing around trying to remember what I wasn't supposed to forget. And, and this guy, obviously a preacher of some sort, he, he started putting the thumb on this young lady that was working there, you know, really putting the pressure on her. And, and I felt kind of sorry for her, so I kind of invited myself into the congregation. And after a few minutes, he said, what church you belong to? I said, the Lord's church. Well, which one's that? The only one. What are you? I'm a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? I'm just a Christian. He got so mad he like tore the door off the hinges going out. I just told him the truth. We're just Christians. Nothing more. Nothing less. No Prefixes or suffixes after that. And because of our plea and our commitment to that plea, we strive to be scriptural in our worship. We strive to worship God in spirit, sincerely from the heart, and in truth, according to his word. John 4, verse 24. And for, for that reason, we sing, Ephesians five nineteen. Uh, we study God's Word. We pray, Acts 2 and verse 42. On the first day of the week, we partake of the Lord's Supper, Acts 20 and 7. We give of our means, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Perhaps it's a unique experience for you today that you are visiting in an assembly where there is no mechanical instrument of music. And if you heard that singing that I heard, you see that one is not needed. It's beautiful. If singing like that doesn't recharge your batteries, you've got a bad connection. We strive to be scriptural in all aspects. But I want you to consider something else, and this one may rock you both. Church Christ is not a denomination. Now, I know that's hard to fathom because everything in our world is a denominational world, but... We're talking about from a biblical perspective here. Do you read about denominations in the New Testament? Which one Peter belonged to? Which one Paul belonged to? Which one did John belong to? Which one did Barnabas belong to? If they'd been asked that question, we're often asked that question. If they'd been asked that question in the first century, they would say, which what? You see... The church existed, and you can check out your history book, you can check out an encyclopedia. The church existed years and years and years before the first denomination ever came into existence. There is, the Bible says, one church. 
One body, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12 and 20, Paul says, you are, there's one body individually, you're members of one another, but there's just one body. You know, the church is spoken of in the singular. In Matthew 16 and 18, our text, Jesus promised, I will build my possessive church, singular, and the word church, singular, simply referred to as the church, is found 67 times in the New Testament. And it's kind of like my conversation with the guy in the business supply that day. If you and I go out and they say, well, what are you religious? And you say, I'm a member of the church. They won't understand because there's a proliferation of church. But in the first century, it was just the church. And that's what we should strive for. Religious division is so wrong. I don't have to prove that point to you. Look in your own families. Look in your own families. Isn't it sad? It's contrary to our Lord's prayer. The night of His betrayal in the upper room, He prayed that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. John R. Mott won the Nobel Peace Prize, and in his speech accepting the Nobel Peace Prize, he said this. He said, The unbelieving and unbelieving world is the price we are paying for a divided Christianity. End quote. And he is right. It's such a source of confusion and frustration and disillusionment in our world today. And I say all of that to say this, folks, we can all be one in Christ. Just try to grasp that thought for a moment. Let that tickle your thinking. Wouldn't it be something if we were all one in Christ? I want you to know that I'm not here, we're not here this morning to malign your beliefs. I'm not here to argue with you. It's not a matter of who is right. It's a matter of what is right. And the Bible is right. And my plea to you, our plea to you, is just simply do what the Bible says. Prove all things or test all things and hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Don't believe every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. These are the things that make the churches of Christ different. Our commitment, our plea to go back to the Bible. And our intention of not being a denomination among denominations, but to simply be the church that we read about in the New Testament. Brethren, let us never lose sight of that. Because when we lose sight of that, we lose our right to exist. That's the people of God. One more question. How does one become a member of the church? 
Well, let me first of all tell you what you don't have to do. You do not have to subject yourself to any ordinance of man. You do not have to promise allegiance to any human fallible creed. You do not have to go through the humiliation of being voted upon. I love what Jack Evans said in his debate with a fellow many years ago. Uh, the issue came up about voting people into the church. And Jack said, well, said, uh, how about Philip the eunuch? There's nobody there but Philip and the horses, and both the horses said nay. Oh. <laughs> you don't have to go through any of those things. Remember we said that the church is the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says, For by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. That's how we become members of the church. Remember we said that the church is the family of God? In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Paul said, We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Isn't it interesting that the very means by which we are saved, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16, is the very means by which we enter God's family, the church. Faith and baptism. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. The church is the same. Remember we talked about the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2? Peter came to a resounding conclusion. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37 says, they were cut to the heart. They had come to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them in verse 38 to repent and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Verse 41, about 3,000 gladly received the word and were baptized. And verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. My question to you this morning is this. Don't you want to be a member? Of the church of Christ. Don't you want to be saved? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Don't you want to have your sins washed away? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22.16 Don't you want to be a part of God's family? We do that by faith and baptism into Christ. Galatians 3.26 and 27 don't you want to be added by the Lord to His church? When you repent and you're baptized, the blood of Jesus washes away your sins. You have the remission of your sins. You become saved and the Lord adds you to the body of the saved, His church. Folks, we care about the church. And we care about you. And that's why I have presented to you this morning exactly what the Bible says about the church. You can reject it, or you can accept it. It's my prayer that you will accept it. We plead with you to do that. In Revelation 22 and verse 17, what's the bride? The bride is the church. The spirit and the bride say come.
Let him who hears say come. Let him who thirsts come and take the water of life freely. We're ready to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. Everything is ready. You can become a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. You can be just a Christian. Please accept what the Bible says about the church. And respond to heaven's invitation. While we stand, while we stand.